The reading of the scriptures from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 to 6. So I invite your faithful hearing of God's word here in chapter 53 of Isaiah. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Never has so much been accomplished by one. Uh, the one uh, who is here, of course, is the Lord Christ, and his accomplishments uh, come to us breaking in the fullest of measure and all that he did in the sacrifice of himself. Uh, I stress the word accomplishment. Uh, Christ uh, uh, did things upon the cross, and what he did and the majesty of those accomplishments are before us. Uh, to compress all that he did, the effects of the fall were transferred to the Son, uh, causing his punishment for us, and of course his blessings to accrue to us. Uh, I begin with the fall. Uh, the text in a measure takes us there. Uh, because of the fall, uh, we uh, are made liable before God. Uh, and that liability is now, from this text, is transferred to the Son. Uh, I say all of the liability is transferred to the Son. Uh, the uh, Shorter Catechism of the Westminster Confession uh, is, I think, quite instructive with respect to the fall. The question and to what a state did the fall bring mankind? And the fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. It's that sin and misery that's now transferred to the Son, that he's going to affect payment for, uh, and that blessings will accrue to us in light of uh, his payment. Uh, the effects of the fall include every disaster that comes our way. Why are there thorns on road bushes? because of the fall. Why are there people in cancer wards in the hospital? Because of the fall. Why are there violent storms that cause immense amount of damage? Because of the fall. Why do we weep and shed tears of incredible passion because of the fall? All of that transferred uh, to the Lord Jesus. Uh, he accomplishes everything for our salvation and the benefits that accrue to us because of that break upon us in time. Uh, the marvels of the accomplishment of Christ. Uh, the, the, the sadness, I think, in a measure is captured for us in a couple of verses. Uh, John chapter 11, verse 35. Uh, I trust a text that's familiar to all of you. Uh, Christ goes uh, to acknowledge the death of a dear friend, Lazarus. And he sees uh, the sister of Lazarus weeping. He sees the colleagues and friends of Lazarus weeping. 
And so we read in John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. Again, because of the fall, the sadness of the fall, the sadness of death, Jesus wept. Uh, reminds me, of course, of uh, Isaiah chapter 52, or pardon me, verse 53, chapter 53, verse 3, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He knew the grief of the family of Lazarus, and so Jesus wept. Uh, but now, again, the transference of all that that means is upon him and the blessing to the us come momentarily as well as in time. Uh, we know from uh, the context of uh, Isaiah that this is the fourth and the last servant song. Uh, we are studying it progressively, uh, but nonetheless, it is the reminder that the servant's son is the means of accomplishing restoration and the new exodus in creation. It has a measure of fulfillment in Israel and their return from Babylon uh, to Jerusalem, but it breaks upon us in the fullest reality that we have begun the last exodus, the new creation has begun, and we are moving to the finality of all of the blessings as we move to our eternal home. Uh, here we are reminded that he reverses the effects of the fall and sets full recovery in order. Again, the accomplishments of our Savior upon the cross. He sets full, eternal recovery in order. It's a phased reality, beginning spiritually and terminating physically. More importantly for us, he was punished and he suffered for taking our place. Uh, the first accomplishment of the servant's son in his sufferings is that he accomplishes an effectual substitution. He takes our place. He pays the bill. He satisfies every liability against us. It's the words of the hymn, full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. He paid not in part but the whole. He secured eternity in his one act of substitution. Uh, the substitution is expressed in the transference of our liabilities onto him. Again, the first accomplishment of our Savior, the servant son upon the cross. Verse 4, substitution, transference of liability to him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. The text is emphasizing the solitary and unique actions of the servant son the Lord Christ. He alone is the actor upon the stage. And so the text reads, he bore our grief. The verb to bear has the nuance of to carry away. What we deserve transferred to him and he carries it away. Grief includes physical distress and the spiritual struggles that ensue because of the fall. Grief encompasses us. We engage in spiritual struggles. He's going to carry that all away. Uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament reads that he carries our sins away. He certainly did that, to be sure. But the point is that he took it all, and he overturns all. I'm not a mindful that 
the blessings that accrue to us from that occur over time and in degree, but the finality of it is what the prophet brings to us. Uh, let's look at that finality expressed in terms of the Old Testament sacrificial system of the book of Leviticus, uh, chapter 16. Marvel's picture of carrying away of guilt and sin. Leviticus chapter 16. In verses 21, 22. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over all of it the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins, and he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. And the goat shall carry away on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land, and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. That was a practice that occurred over and over again. In the cultus of Israel in the Old Testament, it occurs for us one time by the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. He carried it all away. Our liabilities transferred to him, they're borne away by the Lamb of God. A marvelous uh, reminder that the entire sacrificial system that is entertained in terms of the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus is fulfilled in the one-time event of Christ our Redeemer as he bore our sin and all of its grief and all that it means and all of our sorrows. He carried them away. Again, the goat was a substitute for the offenses of the nation, corporately and individually. Jesus is the ultimate substitute. The parallel is just as instructive from the text. He carried our sorrows. The fall brings sorrows. He bears them. He's the man of sorrows, acquainted with our griefs. And he deals with them in time and, of course, over time. Again, sorrows may be mental anguish caused by physical distress, Jesus takes them too. There's nothing with respect to the fall that he does not deal with. Original sin, personal sin, and the fullness of the effects of the fall, sin and misery. He bears them all. The verb here in the text is he carries them away. It's a beautiful picture of this in Isaiah chapter 46 where the same verb is used. Isaiah chapter 46 in the fourth verse. Even to your own age, I shall be the same. And even to your graying years, I shall bear you. I have done it and I shall carry you. And I shall bear you and I shall deliver you. The context of this verse is most instructive. Uh, the people were carrying idols. Whatever has to be carried cannot be God. God does not need to be carried. The reality is that we need to be carried, and that is what God does in Jesus Christ. He carries us. The majesty of God and the fullness of a culture that is steeped in idolatry. We do not carry God. The reverse is true. He carries us. The promise of the text that Jesus will accomplish that in dealing with our sin, but in dealing with all of the grief and sadness that comes from the fall. 
that Christ voluntarily and independent of us takes upon himself the consequences of the fall, both physical and spiritual. Matthew quotes this text as beginning to be fulfilled by Jesus in Matthew chapter 8. It is a reminder that Matthew is identifying Christ as the servant son of Isaiah chapter 53. Again, 8th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, a text that speaks to us as Christ beginning to fulfill the reality of Isaiah chapter 53. Verses 16 and 17. And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were ill, in order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, he himself took our infirmities and carried away our griefs. So Jesus in his actions, in his earthly ministry, is exhibiting the beginning of the new creation that will have ultimate fulfillment in the eschaton. Uh, by taking the burden away, he dispatches the effects temporally and partially in his ministry, and he carries them away. The sick are healed and the demon-possessed are relieved of the great burden of the oppressing tyranny of the kingdom of darkness. One of the reasons uh, that this text is so grand is that it compresses all of the benefits uh, of the cross uh, onto Christ. Uh, but in unpacking that reality, we must deal with the truth that in a measure, many of the blessings occur over time, ultimately to be fulfilled when he comes again. It's the illustration of this in the death of Lazarus. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Only what? To die again. As a reminder to us that Christ is in command of the grave, but it was not yet to be fully realized in the life of Lazarus until Christ comes again. But it is a marvelous expression that he can deal with it and will deal with it because he is in command of the application of all of the benefits of the cross that accrue to us that he sets in motion total recovery, nothing left undone, uh, finished, of course, in the grandeur of his coming. Beautiful expression of this. In the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He's dealing with death. We die, the body goes to the grave. Spirit goes to be with the Lord forever and ever. But again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the final resurrection, and we shall be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Christ accomplishes both. They both are compressed here in this text, but they, of course, are fully realized over time. We die, the Spirit goes to be with the Lord. When he comes again, we shall be changed totally, irrevocably, unchangeably, immutable, of course, in the presence of God, body and soul. A great reminder of all of the blessings that accrue to us upon the cross and all that he did upon the cross by taking the guilt that we bore 
and carries them all away and all of the sadness and griefs that come uh, from the fall. It's a reminder of what awaits us, that demons and sickness have no place in our future because the ultimate reality of what they represent in the fall was transferred to Christ and he carried them all away. Beautiful expression of the gospel. If you're not a Christian, the guilt of the fall of Adam you carry. Your own effects of your personal sin you carry until you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have faith in him for all that he did, and then he carries them all away. You carry them now, but in believing upon them, he will carry them and pay for them all and set all of the blessings in order to break upon you. Again, you carry or he carries. It's the ultimate reality of the gospel. Peter alludes to this text in his first epistle, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, in verse 24. Again, fulfillment by Christ, the great servant son. Now, we're going to look at this text over time, but... 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, and he himself bore our sins. Again, he's quoting Isaiah, fulfilled in Jesus. This great controversy as to who is the servant son, it's not controversial to Peter. He knows the identity of the servant son in Jesus Christ. He bore our sin, the guilt of our sin. He took the wrath upon himself. He himself bore our sin in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you are healed. The context of 1 Peter 2 is the unjust treatment of believing servants by unbelieving masters. Now Peter tells them it's difficult but submit and he uses what as an example of how to submit to unjust treatment? Well, the answer is Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Christ did not deserve to be treated unjustly, but he submitted to pay for our sins and to carry away the effects of the fall. That the example, the greatest example, the most lasting example is Christ. But sometimes we get caught in this reality, do we not? Well, I'm being mistreated at work. Uh, someone, one of my neighbors is mistreating me. Someone in my family is mistreating me. Well, it's okay to bear a measure of grease over that, but I just remind you of the ultimate reality of one who was unjustly treated, and that is Christ. And if he bore it, the application is you can as well. The example of Christ who suffered unjustly but the text, of course, of 1 Peter chapter 2 means that he procured our ability to die to sin and to live to righteousness. And that our healing is contextually defined by Peter in terms of spiritual renewal. Again, that's the reality that there is a phased application of the majesty of everything that Christ did upon the cross. But he begins first spiritually and, of course, the greatest reality of all will deal with even the physical effects of the fall, our death and our glorification. 
beginning fulfillment climaxing with our complete renewal, but nothing is in doubt. He accomplished it all in the one act of substitution, the greatest accomplishment of all time. Great many wonderful things in our culture, we sometimes celebrate them. In America, we have a hall of fame for everything, but this is the greatest of all accomplishments, the work of substitution, one time for all time. I'm not unmindful that the benefits that accrue to us are over time, but nonetheless, the accomplishment is no less certain, no less real, no less fully realized in the work of Christ that he carried our sins away, bore them, carried them, so that we might not have to carry them. And if you are without Christ, the certainty of the text is you will carry them unless you turn to him and believe upon him and have life in his name, fully realizing the greatest of all accomplishments, that the fall of original sin and all of the grief that accrues he carries away in one final act the majesty of the greatest accomplishment of all time. Never in the history, time and eternity, has so much been accomplished by so great a one as Jesus Christ. The work of substitution. The second accomplishment is he cures our ignorance. And the content of our ignorance follows in the text. Notice Isaiah chapter 53. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. We thought that he was punished because he was a failure, because he was judicially convicted by the civil courts of Rome and by the religious courts of Israel. We thought it was his fault. The prophet reverses that. It was not his fault. He was faultless. He was innocent. We were at fault. We were guilty. And he bore our sins nonetheless. The three participles highlight the outcome of the transference of our guilt to him. Notice what the text says that of what God did to the son, the innocent son, and his voluntary bearing of our sin, that God struck him and inflicted him with punishment in payment for our debt. He owed nothing. He was innocent. We owed everything. He paid the debt in full. He was not guilty. We are guilty. He took our guilt, and God pierced him and crushed him for our rebellion and our depravity. Again, he is curing our ignorance and reminding us of the reality of the accomplishment of his substitution. We owed, he paid. And payment is made by the Son to meet the demands of the holiness and the justice of God for all time. One payment for all time to secure the fullness and the entirety of the blessings that accrue to us throughout all eternity. Again, the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone pays. The justice of God must be paid. It's either Christ or you. And thank God 
in his grace, he offers the fullness of the price inflicted upon the son that the debt may be paid in full. Sometimes we in our culture, we, 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 we chafe at, at, uh, at guilty people who escape, do we not? Why, didn't, why isn't someone else thrown into prison over such an act? Why isn't such and such uh, guilty? And here they are getting free. Uh, I'm sure there are lots of people that escape, and I'm sure on occasion there are innocent people who are caught in the imperfections of our own uh, system of justice, but not so with God. He was totally innocent. He pays the debt for his people, the just for the unjust. And there is no injustice at all because either he pays or you pay. He pays in time and because of the infinite perfections of his person as the God-man, the debt is liquidated. Or you pay an impermanent person that will be made to pay throughout all eternity. Again, the gospel, if you're not a Christian, this is certainly a warrant to flee to the Savior and to confess him as God in the provision of Christ and the forgiveness of sin and guilt. Again, payment made by the Son to meet the demands of a holy and righteous God. The, the force of the payment here uh, is important uh, to realize uh, because it speaks to great violence. The text reads that he was pierced. Uh, it is a word that is used of a mortal wound. Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 9, God pierced Pharaoh, Egypt. He struck the dragon and killed the dragon in great violence. It's the violence of the chariots of Pharaoh riding in to the land bridge into the Red Sea, and that God, in the permanence of his justice, uh, causing the deep to fall upon Pharaoh and all of his uh, charioteers. Great violence. And so great violence fell upon uh, Christ. Uh, the text in Isaiah 53, he was crushed. Again, that is a word that is used of God crushing the dragon, God crushing Egypt, God breaking and crushing Pharaoh. Uh, perhaps the uh, reality of the entirety of the, uh, the depth of the ocean and the incredible foot-pounds of pressure breaking upon the body of Pharaoh, the depths of the ocean. And likewise, Christ was crushed upon the cross, treated as an enemy combatant, and vanquished by God. Violence. Eternity apart from Christ is a violent event. We can capture but a measure of it as we see the violence of how Christ was treated upon the cross, the just for the unjust, and that believing in him and hoping in him and him alone, we escape eternal violence because he took it upon himself and carried it all away. The punishment is amplified again in that he was chastened. Uh, notice, notice the text, the latter part of, uh, of verse 5. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. Substitution 
curing our ignorance and our understanding of the greatest event of all time and all of its accomplishments, our chastening for peace. The, the Hebrew text is literally peace. For our peace, it fell upon him. What we deserved fell upon him. Substitution, he's paying the price, liquidating the debt to secure our peace. That he was maltreated so as to secure our peace and our restoration with God. Again, our ignorance. Well, Christ was an example. Well, yeah, he was an example, but he was a whole heck of a lot more than an example. We, we dilute the grand categories of redemption if we vacate the accomplishments of Christ in Isaiah chapter 53 and the certain reality that New Testament authors identify him as the servant. Ignorance abounds. Many in the nation of Israel believe that this applies to the nation of Israel. They didn't pay for sin. How can sinners pay for sin? Only a sinless person can pay for sin. Only a sinless person who is God can pay for sin. To render a sacrifice of infinite value for the infinite liability of justice in offending a righteous God. I would simply commend to you the reality that the logic of that does not break upon the nation of Israel. It breaks upon him who is true Israel, even Christ. The Apostle Paul alludes to this text that uh, in procuring our peace, our chastisement fell upon Christ. Again, the great Apostle Paul, seeing this uh, as being fulfilled by Christ, uh, book of Romans, chapter 4, simply stressing the accomplishment of Christ and the reality that the New Testament authors identify those accomplishments with Christ. Romans chapter 4, verse 25 and chapter 5 and verse 1. Him who was delivered up because of our transgression and was raised because of our justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ procured our peace with God. The war is over, over for all time. One of my favorite illustrations of the reality occurred to me when I was a high school student. It's true I barely knew come here from Sikkim, but I was reading the paper one day of a Japanese soldier. This was the 1960s. A Japanese soldier was captured in the Philippines, not realizing that Japan had surrendered. Incredible ignorance. How would you like to wander around the jungles of the Philippines, living on who knows what, when peace had been accomplished? The peace treaty written, set in motion, on the decks of the battleship Missouri. He was ignorant. We ought not to be ignorant of the greatest accomplishments by the only one who could accomplish them all, and that is the Lord Jesus. He made peace with God, and we have with God through the death of the Son peace, the greatest peace of all time. 
We live in a culture that is desperately trying to deal with guilt. It, it, it is a sad thing. It's the effects of the fall. But I would commend to you the great reality that in light of what Christ did for you, and every night you can go to bed and lay your head upon your pillow and be at peace and fall asleep in peace. You may not wake up again, but you have peace with God and you will wake up in his presence and begin to experience the greatest of all of the realities of what that means. And the reality to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord with a sure and certain hope that one day you will be raised again imperishable and you shall be changed into the grandeur of the glory of the great Savior, even Christ. Peace. Oh, to know peace and to know Christ is to be at peace with God that he procures our reconciliation at the expense of himself. The text goes on to say he was scourged, conveys a notion that Jesus was reduced to one massive wound to pay the bill for us. Uh, the third accomplishment in the text, uh, chapter 5, we are healed. It references relief begun in time and made complete in eternity, that he will bring out all of the effects of the fall. The final effects of the fall are most beautifully described by the Apostle John, Revelation chapter 21, in verse 4. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Christ accomplished everything that that means, and he has set it all in motion based upon his sure and certain accomplishments. The last accomplishment from the text, verse 6, all of us like sheep have gone astray, and each of us has turned to his own way. Like sheep, we wandered from God. He puts us in danger. The parallel, each of us has turned to his own way. Jesus as shepherd rescues us in his atonement. Great reminder of the danger of sheep without a shepherd. Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 5. A sheep without a shepherd become the prey to every beast of the field. Wolves, coyotes, they're defenseless by the way. You'll never see a sheep fighting back. They don't have the armor. They don't have the wherewithal. They are simply made to be prey. Jesus comes to be our shepherd. He gathers his flock from the four corners of the world. The reminder here is that the great act of atonement, that our gathering to be the people of God, is made certain by the cross. He gathers his people. Our iniquity met him in battle, and he defeated it. And so we read in the final uh, phrase of the text, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. Our iniquity went to find Christ to engage in battle, and Christ vanquished our iniquity and then gathers us all. If you're a Christian, it's because Christ died upon the cross and gathered you as the actions of the good shepherd. I alluded earlier that uh, the Apostle Peter speaks to this 
we return now to 1 Peter chapter 2. The fulfillment by Christ, fulfilling Isaiah chapter 53. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 25, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the guardian or the bishop of your souls. Uh, that the reason you came to Christ is because of the atonement. He set your gathering in motion. And beyond that, because he's the shepherd, he protects you throughout all time. He delivers you from evil. Evil cannot get at you. Try it may. It cannot defeat the protective actions of the greatness of our Savior and all that he accomplished upon the cross. That the atonement, the cross, accomplishes our gathering, our protecting, and our curing the greatness of Christ. It's a measure of this expressed by the psalmist. Psalm chapter 28 realized again the majesty of Christ upon the cross. Save thy people, the psalmist says, and bless thine inheritance. Be their shepherd also and carry them forever. That's what Christ does. He's our shepherd and he carries you forever. There's never a point of time in your life that Christ the shepherd is not carrying you and bearing you away because he bore your sins away. The majesty of the benefits of the cross and atonement, full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah. What a Savior. That he cured our cured us spiritually and has set in motion our complete and physical restoration that is coming. And so we come this morning, as you know, first Sunday of the month, to celebrate what he did. Sacrament of the Lord's table. I say celebrate all of his accomplishments. He has given to us a special time to celebrate. The sacrament of the Lord's table. Uh, we celebrate his accomplishments. And so it's a time for us to remember him what he did for you. He carried your sins away. What he's doing for you, he's carrying you into eternity and will deliver you safe and sound to those distant shores. We remember him to be sure. We also receive the blessings by faith and we faithfully await the promises that are ours in eternity. Wonderful Biblical warrant for this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? It's a cup of blessing. We fellowship with Christ. We receive by faith the grandeur of his provisions by way of celebration. And we hold fast by faith to all of the promises of what that means for us in eternity. Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ. We share, we fellowship with Christ that the wrath that we deserved fell upon him. He was punished, but we celebrate 
the majesty of the Lord's table. Uh, as I uh, break the bread and the bread is being passed to you, I encourage you to engage in silent prayer. If there's an issue that you need to deal with, then deal with it uh, because we come as a confessional people and as a repentant people. And it is improper to partake of the sacrament of the Lord's table uh, engaging in unrepentant sin. And again, if you must deal with something, then again, deal with it. We begin our services with a confessional time, but we come uh, to ensure that we partake of the sacrament in a proper and honorable way by giving again that time. Uh, but at some point in your private prayer, do what the cup suggests, a cup of blessing. Thank God for his provision. Uh, as we begin to pass the bread, uh, thank God for his provision. Uh, this is a time in which we receive from the Lord uh, a measure of the benefits that accrue to us. As God provided to the nation of Israel manna and water to secure them in their daily journey so he comes to us in the provision of Christ that we receive by faith, the fullness of the measure of what Christ did and what it means for us every day of our lives. And this is a peculiar, intense form of that celebration in the sacrament of the table. We thank God and thank God for what he did for us and the Son, Christ, the Redeemer of his people. And so let's prepare our hearts to partake of the sacrament, uh, beginning with the bread.